Hi, I'm Jess Karaskalauhead and I'm the producer for the AGZ podcast. We know lots of you will have questions from episodes one and two of the podcast and you might want to know a little more about the study. So Andrew's here to answer some questions about it and to give some insight on some of the findings. Andrew, the first two episodes of this podcast are based on the Australia's Generation Z or AGZ study. Can you please tell me a little about that research project? Sure. Thanks, Jess. So it is based on the AGZ study, which stands for Australia's Generation Z. So the premise for our study was that Australian teenagers who are kind of part of this so-called Generation Z, they're exposed to diversity in ways that are completely unprecedented through social media, school and peers. So we were really interested in exploring just their experiences of that diversity. And for us, we looked at it through the lens of religious, spiritual, gender and sexual diversity. Okay. And what are the top line findings? Okay. The top line findings. So if we were paying attention to religious, cultural, sexual, and gender identity, these were the kinds of main things that we found. So we found that about half of all Australia's teenagers don't identify with a religion, which we unpacked in episode one. We found that almost every single teenager in Australia thinks that having religious diversity makes Australia a better place to live. We found that about three quarters of Australian teenagers have positive attitudes towards Islam, Buddhism and Hinduism. We found that eight out of 10 teenagers support marriage equality and about nine out of 10 Australian teenagers think that secondary school students should have the right to learn about LGBTQI people as part of their schooling. So were there any surprises in the findings? I think the thing that surprised me the most was how open and tolerant teenagers are in regards to all kinds of diversity and I probably expected based on previous studies that a greater proportion would be not that well disposed to say some religious minorities like uh, uh, Muslims but that's not the case and I think it's just simply because teenagers living in their everyday world so just diversity is much more common it's a normal experience for them and so they're perhaps not as loaded up with prejudice as older cohorts. What was your methodology when you were conducting the study? Sure. So the methodology, it had three parts. The first was we conducted 11 focus groups in three states with students who were in years 9 and 10. We can't say which states they were, but they were spread right across Australia. And we spoke to a total of 94 students in those 11 focus groups. Then we had a nationally representative telephone survey of 1,200 people who were aged between 13 and 18. And that's kind of a comprehensive survey and it's representative of teenagers in Australia. And then we finished with 30 in-depth follow-up interviews with some survey participants just to dig a little bit deeper into some of the things that we're hearing from our national survey. That's really interesting. So a really incredibly wide range of people that you managed to get hold of. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, we, particularly with the focus groups, we tried to select students who lived in rural and regional areas and who went to different kinds of schools and represented a different range of religious and non-religious perspectives. So a real everyday sense of what it's like for teenagers. And then, of course, because the survey's nationally representative, you are able to capture all of that diversity 
in the survey sample. Were there any surprises from, say, different groups in the focus groups? So if they were from a particular regional background or that kind of thing, were there any surprises in the results? No, not especially. One of the interesting things, you know, we travel to far-flung parts of Australia to talk to teenagers in regional areas. And in some ways, they're, you know, they still had significant experience of diversity and were well informed about the same kinds of issues that um, teens in the cities were. Oh, I think that's got a lot to do with just how interconnected younger generations are by dint of social media. Absolutely. And a contrast from their sort of older people in society from when they were teenagers. That's right. When you know, Australia was much more uh, monocultural and, and far less diverse. And also far, far less diverse and also quite isolated from the world, I would say. Yeah, yeah. If you were in a, um, a remote or regional part of Western Australia in the 1950s, it, it would be a world away from Perth, let alone Sydney or Melbourne. And, and so in a way, the kind of the world is metaphorically contracted and teenagers are so adept at the tools that kind of bring each other together. So I'm not surprised by that finding. One of the things you did in the AGZ study was to develop a model of teen worldviews. So what is that? How did you achieve that? Yeah, so we were interested in kind of the ways in which teenagers kind of understand the world. And, and you know, often studies of teenagers and the way they look at the world looks at, say, what they believe in and what they don't believe in. And particularly studies overseas have kind of really led the way by how religious or not teenagers are. And that was obviously a question of interest to us, but we kind of made it a bit more expansive. And so what we did was create a model of what we call six worldview types. And that's basically the ways in which uh, young people experience, understand the world, what they believe in, what they don't believe in, some of the practices that they engage in, whether that's religious, spiritual or something else. And so we took all of the survey responses and came up with this particular model. And I, I, I did some statistical analysis that I, I won't kind of go into a great detail <laughs> now. You know, once the computer kind of did all the analysis and spat out what um, we described as our six worldview types. And so we kind of alluded to that a little bit in episode one and episode two of the podcast. But we discovered that about 17% of teenagers are what we call religiously committed. And that kind of that name sort of explains itself. And we looked at those sorts of teenagers in episode one. They're ones who got regular religious practice in their lives. So that's almost one in five. Yeah, one in five, which, you know, as we said in that first episode, that's less than teenagers of previous generations. So religious commitments on the decline. Then there's a bigger group who've kind of got a tendency towards being a little bit religious. We call these teens nominally religious teens. That's about 20% of teenagers. And, they, you know, the best way to think of them is like someone who goes to a, a Catholic school, maybe um, believes in God, and maybe goes to Mass once or twice a year, but doesn't kind of have um, much of a, a personal faith. So going to Mass for Christmas or Easter, for example. Yeah, and that's often because parents or guardians are dragging them along. And, you know, they may lose that faith or it might just be a cultural identity. And that applies to Anglicans a little bit as well. In episode two, we talked a little bit about spirituality and we, we kind of found two kinds of groups of teens who are interested in spirituality. One group is what we called spiritual but not religious. It's about 18% of teenagers. So they're kind of broadly interested in spiritual beliefs like reincarnation and they might have dabbled a little bit with horoscopes and things like that, but um, it's mostly about sort of alternative spiritual beliefs. 
And then related to them is a group we call seekers, which is about 8% of teenagers. And they kind of have a foundation in religion, whether they're kind of raised Christian or Muslim or Buddhist, but they're also interested in some of these alternative ways of being spiritual as well. So getting back to the ones who are sort of spiritual but not religious, so they're about one in five as well. Do they have a similar kind of conviction in their beliefs as somebody who might be in that one in five who are regular churchgoers, for example? No. So the percentage who you might describe as sort of really committed new ages or really committed to an alternative spiritual paradigm is lower than that. These teenagers that we describe as spiritual but not religious or seekers are kind of just have this orientation towards the spiritual. They kind of close the door on organised religion, but they haven't closed the door on sort of you know, issues to do with transcendence or belief. Um, and that's quite different to the last two groups w- which we looked at. So the, the single biggest group of teenagers in Australia are a group that we call disworldly, and that's like almost what, one in five teenagers and by this worldly they like have no spiritual belief no religious belief they never go to church or mosque or a temple uh, and the, and um, they have no interest in, in kind of reincarnation so they're, they're totally what we might understand to be humanist or secular would you say most teenagers in australia tend towards being religious spiritual or pretty much secular i mean that's one in five who you say are this worldly which implies secular. Yeah, it's sort of, it's better, rather than saying that it's Australian teenagers tend towards one thing or another, it's kind of really better to understand them as sort of falling into one of these six types. And so in a way, like this worldly teenagers are as different to the religiously committed as they are to sort of spiritual or nominally religious teenagers. And so, it, yeah, we think it's better to not see it as either or, but, you know, a different kinds of so-called tribes, I suppose, in the population. That's interesting just because I think there's quite a big idea out there that, in fact, most young people really aren't religious at all in any way. Yeah, so I suppose if you add the nominally religious and the religiously committed groups together, you're getting about a third who tip towards religion. But then you've got, you know, this group that tips towards spirituality. And then we had a group, the last group, that we called indifferent, and that's about 15% of teenagers. And it's like maybe we would describe them in a different age as being agnostic. So if you ask them about any of these things, they're not committed to a strong secular point of view, but they're also not committed to a religious perspective or a spiritual perspective. And so that kind of rounds out the 100%. So with those figures, and you say that organised religion is, is a bit on the decline, what future do churches and other religious groups have in Australia? Yeah, this is a really interesting question and it's one that I get asked often. It's one we tried to address in episode one. So back in the 50s and 60s, you know, teenagers are a lot more connected to church than they are now and that when they are connected to a church now, it tends to be particular religious groups and not others. So I think that those kinds of religious traditions like Pentecostals, we talked about Mormons in episode one and also Muslims, I think their future is fairly strong. I mean, I think we're always going to have an Anglican church, a Catholic church, a uniting church. 
but they're just going to shrink and shrink because a church or a religious movement is only as strong as the young people that it's got coming through. So I would say, you know, if we came back in another 10 or 15 years, those sort of Pentecostal churches amongst Christians, is it's going to still be doing pretty well, but all the others are going to be battling. So I think it's this long, slow drift from one kind of way of doing organised religion to another. Is there a worry that they'll disappear entirely? Those the sort of older style, you know, churches and religions. Yeah, I know that they they do have a lot of anxiety about where are we going to find young people, uh, and it's caused a lot of concern for them. But I think there's always going to be a place for religion in society because people have shown forever that they're interested in in spirituality in religion. Uh, and it just it's it always shifts and takes different forms, and so I think the kind of move towards Pentecostalism and things like that is that's about today, and it will continue to shift. But it's just it's not going to go away completely. It just never will. This is in Australia, of course, and this study is based in Australia. How does Australia compare to other parts of the world when it comes to religion and teenagers? Well, if we look throughout the global north, and in particular countries in uh, Europe and also parts of North America, we kind of look really similar. So teenagers in Great Britain, New Zealand, Canada look an awful lot like Australian teenagers. So they're very diverse. And so you see large pockets of teenagers in those places who are interested in or who follow other faith traditions, whether that be Muslim, Hindu or whatever, same as we've got in Australia. But then there's also an increasing group who've got no commitment or interest in religion. America is often seen as an outlier because people go, well, they're much more religious than us, but the same patterns are evident in America as well. That's, and That's really interesting when you think about how much incidental religious things that you see, you know, you might hear the phrase, God bless America, for example, it's the first one that comes to mind, brings to mind an idea of a country that is very religious, in fact. Yeah, much more religious than Australia. So like, you know, twice the proportion of Americans believe in God compared to Australia. But they've got huge regional variation and also great variation by race and class. And so parts of the United States, particularly in the South, remain really strong with white evangelicals. And they do pretty well in retaining teenagers, but say the Catholic and the mainline Protestant churches in the United States are battling to keep their young people just the same as us. And Pentecostals do pretty well in the United States as well, and, and they've got their fair share of young people, but that's not uniform across the country. And so just generally the global pattern or the pattern in the global north of teenagers just not being that interested in religion is pretty true in a, a number of places. Do you have any statistics about other places? In terms of, say, you've got your more Western, your US, your Britain, oh, your Canada. Yeah. What about other places with different sort of cultural... Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like, So if you look in the global south, religion's a completely different story. In 2012, I had the chance to live in Papua New Guinea for half the year and we lived in a town in the highlands and and religion just it was just everywhere there was prayer before the start of my daughter's karate lessons you go to the supermarket in town they'll be playing gospel music anyone who could get a flatbed truck and a loudspeaker would set up like a new kind of church in the market and and on you walk around town on a saturday and sunday and all the pentecostal preachers would just be screaming into their sound systems and religion in Papua New Guinea, in a place like that, is strong amongst young and old alike. And that's the case throughout sub-Saharan Africa and also in Latin America 
Again, in those places, the religious traditions that are doing well are like Pentecostals, and not so much in sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America. Muslims aren't particularly strong, but in, in parts of the world, South Asia, there's a strong movement of, of strong commitment to Islam, absolutely. Should anything about religion be taught at school? It's a bit of a contentious question, actually. Yeah, this was something that we we were interested in exploring about what young people get taught about religion in schools now and, and what they should be taught. So if you go to a, um, a private school, whether that's in the Catholic system or the independent private system, there's a pretty good chance, particularly in the Catholic system, you'll get taught stuff to do with the Catholic faith. Whereas if you go to a government school at secondary school, you, you can't have any religious education. That is, you can't be taught about a particular faith tradition. You can be taught about religion, but you can't be taught religion in a proselytizing kind of way. And we were curious to discover whether if you are taught about religion, does that improve your attitude to people who are not religious or people who follow a different religious tradition to your own? And we were kind of surprised to discover it does make a little bit of difference. And so if you've had some exposure to general religious education at school, you're more likely to display positive attitudes to, say, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Christians, and so on. And so if you've had none of that kind of education. And the study also explored issues beyond religion, including questions about gender and sexuality. So what did you find there? Yeah, so we asked a number of questions about this and we were kind of interested in the ways in which attitudes towards gender and sexuality might intersect with attitudes towards religion and also just generally how teenagers felt about some of these issues. We had the chance to do our survey at about the same time as Australian adults were doing the um, marriage equality postal vote. 62% of Australian adults who voted there said they support marriage equality and, and teenagers in Australia it was 83% said yes. So it's like a much higher proportion of teenagers support marriage equality which kind of generally reflects their attitudes towards sexual and gender diversity and they're much more open to it. We're interested too to ask them about, you know, whether these things should be taught at school and, you know, an incredible proportion, like nine out of 10 teenagers said secondary school students should have the right to learn about LGBTQI people. Almost nine in 10 teenagers said secondary schools should allow students to openly express any sexual or gender orientation. And that kind of theme of openness and acceptance just kind of really characterises contemporary Australian teenagers. Just generally, teenagers are much more open to, um, they're much more uh, tolerant of religious diversity. They're much more tolerant of gender and sexual diversity. I just think they've they've come of age in a world in which they just don't see these things as being a big deal. Now, in episode two, you and I did a Ouija board demonstration. Uh, yes, we did. <laughs> and we'll probably get lots of questions or you'll probably get lots of questions about whether that was faked or not. Let's have a chat about it because, um, I mean, it, what we did it by the book, as I would put it. So we, it didn't feel like we were purposely moving the planchette. Can you explain a little bit about how that works? Yeah, so I talked in sort of the prelude to that episode, like, you know, if you ask someone who, who believes in the spirit power of a Ouija board, then they'll think that it's the spirits moving it. And then there's a more kind of prosaic scientific explanation, which is called idiomatic motion. And that, in short, is that kind of involuntary physical reactions we have to particular stimuli. 
So if you see a really sad film, despite your best effort to perhaps not cry, you may have tears you know, rolling down your face because that's just a, a kind of emotional reaction that you can't necessarily control. And it's the same with idiomatic motion. It's like if you have some great desire for something to be manifested, then somehow or other your, your body will make these kind of invisible movements. And it's, so if you truly believe that you're contacting the spirit world and you put your fingers on the planchette, you know, it can and it does move. That's the scientific explanation. And obviously, you know, this is a spiritual explanation, but you know, it definitely moved. And for me, you know, that was that was idiomatic motion. Yeah, it was it was really interesting because I think we're both I think both of us are, you know, reasonably skeptical about the spiritual side of that, but it moved for us anyway, despite the skepticism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was not faked. Like in the audio recording you can hear the planchette, you know, moving across the board. Uh, and I was a little bit surprised because sometimes my head is so full of like head knowledge about this stuff that I can't actually get the thing to work. But maybe it was just the studio, just the disposition. We'd been chatting about that opera singer who died and then suddenly it just, it wasn't overthought. It just kind of happened. That's really interesting. So how do we find out more about the AGZ study? Okay. So if you look in the show notes, we've got a link to a report that is about 20 pages and just summarizes in a kind of really digestible way. We've also got a book that is published by Bloomsbury in early 2021, and it's called Freedoms, Faiths and Futures, Teenage Australians on Religion, Sexuality and Diversity. And that's written by myself and my fellow team members for this project. Fantastic. Andrew, thank you so much for giving us just a little bit more about the study. And we'll be sure to look it up. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Tess.